On today's episode of Think Forever, it's a story of friendship. We'll see how life's battles take on many forms, and that true, life-changing strength is found in the freedom of faith in Jesus. In the scope of eternity, our lives are just a dot on a line that extends with no end. In this podcast, I tell stories about people who believed that and lived it, so that by looking at their lives, we might better understand how to think forever. Episode 2, Fight to the Finish, Part 1. Oni crept along the dim alley away from the torch-lit thoroughfare. Two lefts and a right, he thought. Or was it left-right-left? No, two lefts and a right, then passed the bath to the two-story house on the left. Can't miss it, the innkeeper had said. Door has more rivets on it than the city gate. It had taken several coins and more than a few cups of wine to get him to cough up the owl's address. The owl, as he was known in this district, apparently had connections inside the palace— These connections meant information about everything from social drama to military secrets, even prisons and who was held there. Information for sale. Information Oni needed. And so he had borne the innkeeper's tired jokes and extortion with a forced smile. Nicholas, the innkeeper, wasn't a bad man, as far as Oni could tell, just world-weary and suspicious. He had the look of an overtanned hide, skin stretched tight across his ruddy face, and a dirty apron permanently tied around his paunchy middle. He spoke in terse sentence fragments until midday when he began to drink. Then the words flowed freely as wine from a broken cask. It was during one such oration Oni heard him mention the name Owl, and it had been only a matter of patience and bribery to get from there— to a dirty side street in the middle of the night. Can't hold his suspicion against him, Oni thought. Catering to travelers and transients could do that to a man. He kept his eyes down and steadied himself against one wall of the alley as he edged around a puddle of urine. Or maybe vomit. Maybe both. It seemed the further he got from main roads, the seedier the taverns became. He must have passed five since he left the inn, and they were appearing more frequently. One such tavern door exploded open in front of him, and a man stumbled out, nearly knocking Oni to the ground on the way to create his own reeking puddle. Oni regained his footing and strode past the open door, sparing a glance inside. Several pairs of glassy, drunken eyes peered back at him, some laughing at the misfortune of their ill companion— some leering at the stranger with the gall to invade their local drinking house. He pulled his cloak further about his shoulders and tightened the belt containing his purse as he quickened around the next corner. Oni didn't like carrying so much coin on his person, not in this district, 
in this city and at night. Rome was no place for unprotected treasure, especially since the fires had decimated so much of the city and her wealth. But even Nicholas's rambling had made it clear that the owl was no gossip, but a salesman, and news about the emperor's enemies was sure to come with a premium cost. Since the risk couldn't be helped, he'd divided his money, half into the leather purse on his waist and half into a small sack he'd stuffed between the seams of his scant mattress at the inn. He wasn't sure he liked that plan any better than carrying coins around the city, but he hoped his tip to the innkeeper would buy him a little extra privacy from any would-be snoops or opportunistic burglars. He toyed again with his belt and thought of home. Another night, much like this one many years before, Ephesus in her glory, drunk, disorderly, violent, all full of wine and want, Artemis's temple ever looming overhead. Cleaner than Rome, but just as bent on her own destruction. The silversmiths had rallied the masses against the Apostle of Christ, the very man who had led Oni and his family to faith in the one true God. See what he does, they'd said. See how he turns our market into a wasteland? Damn him, and his God, and his way, but leave our purses alone. He remembered the crowd seizing members of his church and watching as the riot made its way to the theater. Some screamed obscenities about the supposed troublemakers, others chanted the name of Artemis. Even now, the shouts rang almost audibly in his ears as he passed the bath. On the left, he thought, two-story house. There was a thick and dark wooden door studded from top to bottom with iron pegs. He knocked lightly three times, not wanting to draw attention to his business. A minute went by, then two, with no answer. He tapped on the door again more urgently and saw the flickering light beneath the door dim as it was cast into shadow. There were two sharp clicks and the stout door creaked open a foot's length. Barring the entryway was a short, portly man with a round head and an even rounder belly. What little hair clung to his temples was grayish-white, and there were deep creases in the corners of his eyes and mouth, suggesting his scowl was a more or less permanent expression. A moment of silence followed as the old man's eyes slid methodically from Oni's face to his travel-worn sandals and back up. Is he searching for a knife or a purse? Oni wondered. Ah! The man rumbled abruptly. Oni blinked at the sudden break in silence. He recovered quickly and took a short breath. The eagle rules the sky by golden light, but owl is king when day gives way to night, he said. Happy the wine-soaked innkeeper had remembered to tell him that only those with the passphrase were permitted to speak with the owl. The man stepped aside, and Oni pressed into the lamplit room. Passwords and double locks. He nearly smiled at the drama of it all, though he imagined caution to be a useful tool on the belt of a spy. He took a moment of his own to examine the old fellow, who was relatching the heavy door. His fraying shirt and half-torn sandals certainly didn't give him the look of a well-connected aristocrat, but perhaps that was an additional measure of security. I'm, um, I'm not sure what to call you, sir, Oni said. 
My innkeeper? Well, his name is Nicholas. You probably know him, or know of him. He knows you. Well, sir, he sent me here because I've come a long way searching for a dear friend and I can't seem to... Right in the middle of the shambled speech, the old round man grunted, turned around, and shuffled through an arched doorway into yet another dimly lit room. Oni sputtered to a stop and stared at the empty space before him. What now? Had he offended the owl? Was he supposed to follow the strange man into the next room? Just as he decided to risk following, a calm voice spoke behind him. Demetrius will not be answering your questions tonight. Or any night. His former master had a temper, and Demetrius had a loose tongue. So loose, apparently, it needed cutting out. Oni jumped at the voice, and turned to see a woman reclining on a low couch before a lampstand in the corner of the common room. She wore a crimson dress, and gold bracelets on her wrists and upper arms, complementing her chestnut-brown skin. Her black hair was tied in small knots all around her head, also adorned with gold. You... you're... are you the... expecting a little man, were you? She rose, and he took a small step backward. She was taller than he by half a head, and her hair, now backlit by the lamp, gave the appearance of a crown. I honestly don't know what to expect anymore. He didn't see the point in hiding his clear confusion any longer. So he... Demetrius is your slave? Ha! Huh, she exclaimed, seeming genuinely tickled at the idea. His old master was worse at gambling than he was at controlling his mood. That is how Demetrius came to live at this house, but there are no slaves here. Only those who know, and those who do not. You wish to know things, but I already know about you, Ephesian. He raised his eyebrows at her and saw a hint of a smile at the corner of her mouth. Tell me your name, then perhaps I can answer your questions, she continued. Onesiphorus, he replied, but everyone calls me Oni. Truthfully, only his mother called him Onesiphorus. His wife sometimes did, when she was being playful or if he was in trouble. The apostle had always used it too, as if speaking his full name were a call directly to his soul. It meant useful one, bringer of luck. The shortened version of his name sounded more like island, and that certainly described how he felt right now. Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. She rolled his name about her mouth, as if considering what punishment to dole out upon a misbehaving child. Oni, she landed. It is hard to be a foreigner in Rome. I should know. But you cannot blunder about my city looking for trouble without my knowledge. Oh, I don't want trouble. I just... Does not want trouble, he says. What do you call so loudly searching for a man sentenced to die, and for the crime of hatred of humanity, no less? Oni's eyes burned, and he feared he may choke out some wretched tears. 
hatred of humanity? Is that what they were calling it now? He drew a long, slow breath and said, If you knew the man, you would know there is only love in his heart. Oh, I know. You Christians love each other almost before you know each other. But blame for the fires had to land somewhere, and our glorious emperor wasn't going to let suspicion linger on his glorious head for long. So the great eagle hides in his nest, plucking away at sour songs while the rest of us burn. Your friend is his prize. You should not go near him. Anger and sorrow swirled in Oni's belly. Thoughts of vengeance rampaged through his mind like a drunk man swinging wildly at mockers. Payment for the blood of his sisters and brothers needlessly slain at the whim of a mad king. But no, that was not what he had learned in Christ. Be angry and do not sin, the apostle had said. Put on the new self. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Oni squeezed the remaining tears from his eyes and silently prayed for peace. His new self was barely hanging on. I will not abandon him, he said. Name your price and tell me where they're holding him, or give me the name of someone who will. The owl paused for several racing heartbeats, looking as though she were able to measure the whole of a man by his breath alone. Tulianum, she said finally. They took him to Tulianum. Oni felt as though all the air had been sucked from his chest. It would be a miracle now to find his friend alive at all. Tulianum. The House of Darkness, some called it. Its underground dungeons were no more than a place to rot while awaiting execution, and many died while waiting for death. He nodded a faint reply and set his trembling hand to his belt. Take your gold and go, she said sharply. You will need it for the guard, and for food. It is likely your friend has not had much of that lately. Oni began to protest. Miss, tomorrow night, she cut him off. That is when you will go. Gaius will be at the south gate. He will let you pass with a bribe. Most likely. Or you will end up beside your friend. I... Thank you, he said, toying anxiously at his cloak. She nodded slowly at him and he took it as a sign to leave. He turned to place his hand on the heavy door latch, and she interrupted him once more. Oni, what shall we say to these things? He froze, and hope seized him for the first time since he had entered the city. He knew the words well. They were from the letter the apostle had sent to the church in Rome. Oni faced the owl and thought he saw a trace of worry on her face. He offered a tired smile. If God is for us, who can be against us? He replied. 
the mute old man emerged again from the dim-lit archway and scowled, and Oni exited into the night. It was late now, or early, depending on your occupation. It was the time of night when the earliest workers and the latest revelers walked the streets together, either stumbling suddenly toward a bed or blearily away from one. Oni retraced his steps to the inn, silently praising God for new directions and the encouragement of the owl. It was still strange to him that he could pray any time, anywhere, and God would hear him. In his youth, he had been taught that temples were for praying, markets for buying, taverns for drinking, and the gods were mostly silent or vengeful. What freedom he had felt when he first heard the gospel of Jesus. Freedom from the vices which held him so tightly. Freedom to be himself as he was created to be. Freedom to speak with the one God who loved him. And so he walked and prayed, weaving among the dirty streets until he saw the bright thoroughfare glowing just ahead. It was true that Rome never slept. He sidestepped a crate of empty wine jugs and tripped into the back of a tall, cloaked man with a thunk. Ack! cried the man, as he spun to face Oni. From behind the tall stranger stepped another man, shorter but with broad shoulders and a hard-set jaw. Wine had been splashed onto his chest from Oni's misstep. Both wore Roman armor. Oni may have been a stranger in Rome, but he was no stranger to the temper of drunk soldiers. He saw anger beginning to rise on their startled faces and put on his best apologetic smile. I'm so sorry, sirs, he started. I tripped over that crate there. Please, let me refill your cups. And what about my uniform? The broad-shouldered one hurled. Can't go about all stained and soaking now, can I? In older days, Oni would have commented on the slovenly state of him. Scuffed, unpolished leather, fraying and muddy cloak. But no need to stoke the fire any further. Two cups, then, Oni replied, and a coin for your trouble. Made of money, are we? The tall one taunted. They were on either side of him now, pressuring him back against the alley wall. Let's see it, then. This has been a terrible misunderstanding, Oni said. His heart raced, and he glanced to either side. No need to let this ruin your night. Please, just let me refill your cups. I have some work I really need to... Show us the purse, the shorter man yelled suddenly. He planted a meaty palm in the center of Oni's chest, slamming his back into the stone wall. The other drew a short wooden baton from his belt. Rage rose in Oni as he drew sharp, shallow breaths. He looked from one soldier to the other. How many fights had he started and ended in his youth? He thought of his mission, of his friend rotting underground and the food he needed. He thought of his brothers and sisters strung up and burned alive, probably by the very hands of these depraved thugs. He clenched his fists and prepared to strike. 
Then he thought of his new self. No, 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 he thought. Don't fight. Just escape. He drew one deep breath and let out a cry, Arrgh! and shoved hard against the broad-shouldered man, sending him staggering back. Oni ducked under the outstretched arms of the taller one and leapt across the crate of empty jugs, landing in another putrid puddle. A small slip sent him to his hands and knees in the filth, but he could see the burning torchlight of the busier streets just ahead. He rose, preparing for the short sprint away from the robbers. The soldier's baton came down on Oni's head with a crack, and everything went black. Thank you for listening to this episode of Think Forever. Next week, we'll finish Oni's story. More information about our podcast and live performances can be found on our website at www.thinkforever.org. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week for the conclusion of Fight to the Finish. Fight to the Finish